All right, let's get into the word this morning. And I'm so thankful for the culture, like just what Jamie was saying, the heartbeat. Man, it's just, it's so precious to be here. Uh, if I wasn't just pastor the church, I'd actually come here. <laughs> you think that's funny, but that's actually a, like, that's a true statement. I don't know how many, I've talked to different pastors and say, if I wasn't pastoring this church, I wouldn't even show up. I've heard that a numerous times. This is actually a joy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm happy for me, but I'm meaning for you. Are you, you're, And the rest of you, you're okay? You're, you're happy with that? Okay, good. All right. Well, this morning, we're going to continue on. I kind of, uh, again, last week didn't be able to, wasn't able to finish fully what uh, we were on. But we're going to jump into it a little again. And I want to lay a quick foundation so we're all on the same page. And it's required, really, to go into what we're talking about. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, again, the Apostle Paul, he leaves a tremendous statement that he talks to his leadership team at the church in Ephesus before he's going off to Rome. And he says this profound statement that I, I personally think this is a major one in his life, in his ministry. Paul received insight or revelation knowledge about the grace of God that far, it's just, it's beautiful, the assignment that was on his life. And I'm so thankful to God that Paul, well, used to be Saul, I mean, God got a hold of him, slapped this S off his name and threw a P on there and totally changed his assignment, changed his destiny to where he was going and now became a crazy man for Jesus. I'm so thankful that you and I are reading these words from him today. Anybody else are so appreciative of this, of this message, of the word that God gave Paul to minister and to give to us Gentiles? Here we are. So in verse 32... The Apostle Paul says, so now I entrust you, talking to the church, I entrust you into God's hands and what else? Come on, I'll read it with me. And the message of his grace. Why didn't he say anything else? Because this is the message. The message of grace is the victorious message. The message of grace is where heaven totally defeated all of darkness and released you and I. The message of grace is what this is all about. So he says, I'm now entrusting you to this message of grace. Now, why? Because this message of grace is all that you need to become strong. So I'm not, you're just as strong because of your, your, your diet or you're going to the gym or whatever. You're strong because the message of grace and all that it contains makes you strong. Continuing on, he said, all, say with me, all of God's blessings are imparted through the message of his grace, which he, again, he provides as the spiritual inheritance given to all of his holy ones. So if you and I are children of God, your spiritual inheritance has been given to you. Where? How do I find it? It's in the message of his grace. Can you see that a lot of time you hear spiritual inheritance in that? As a child of God, you have an inheritance. And we go, woo, yeah, praise the Lord, praise hallelujah. That's what I'm talking about. And you go, where is it? It's found in the message of his grace. So for you and I, this message of grace isn't just, oh, God's just really kind to me. It supersedes so far beyond all of that. Yes, it's stemmed in how good God is, but it, man, it hits every area of your life. Physically, emotionally, mental state, financially, it has taken care of so many things in your and my life. In fact, the Bible says everything that you need of is found in the message of his grace. All right. 
Now, as we said, the Apostle Paul, his job was to point the New Testament believers to God's eternal position. What is God's eternal position with his church? Grace. It actually says in Ephesians 2.7 that what are going to be doing in the years and the dispensations to come, God is going to constantly be opening up and revealing the goodness of his grace towards us as his children. So what are you going to do a million years from now? Come, in, come into a whole new dispensation and go, man, God's grace just slapped me again. That's what his grace is going to be continually doing in and you're in my life. Can I get an uh-huh on that? That's, that's good news. Now, okay, grace, as we said, is all-encompassing. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He says, since we are now joined to Christ, we have been. Say it with me. We have been. What is that? That's past tense. So you got something right now sitting in this seat. You have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood. The treasures of redemption belong to you. Everything redemption provided has been purchased for you. And part of it is the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. Excuse me, verse 8. He says, this super abundant grace is already powerfully working in me. Say, it is working in me. And what's it doing? It's releasing within us all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. So God just fixed stupid right here. (laughs) His grace has provided all forms of wisdom and practical understanding into spiritual concepts. So you and I, ignorant days are over. Because his grace is made available, everything you want to know. And again, as we saw last week, that word in trust, the, God is literally saying everything, grace has provided everything you'll ever need. What do you have need of? You think of it in your own self. What do you have need of? Is there something lacking in any area of your life? Grace has already taken the position to help you with that or to assist you in what you've already received. He's already got it. He's already done it. And one of the things I'm so grateful for what grace has done, grace has revealed to me the Father in the most intimate way, far beyond any Old Testament saint. Anybody that believed God in that Old Testament, they knew God to a degree. But grace now takes you just out on the outer courts, and he's now brought you into the very, very most inner of holy of holies. In fact, it's on the inside of us. So to know God intimately is just what we need, and it's available for us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now... All of this wonderful grace, it's available, it's here, but it's not automatic. The grace of God, this is again what he's saying. Everything you need, I've provided. Everything you need, I've provided. Well, can you hear? I want you to hear grace this morning. Everything you need, it's been provided. Grace simply says this I set a table before you. The psalmist, David, he got a hold of this in the Old Testament. He says, you set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And there's everything at this table. Thank you, sweetheart. Everything is at this table. Everything you need. And what does he come say? What does grace say? Come and eat. Oh, I got to go in the kitchen. to. No, 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 no. It's already been made available. Your part is eat. Here's the table. Sit down and eat from it. So again, now my part is this, is to allow the message of grace to form my thinking and my believing. God wants me to be more convinced at what's at this table than what I'm seeing all around me. 
be more convinced that this table that he provided through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is more true and more sure, more real than anything that I see in the natural. That's my job, and I have to allow the word of God now to form that on the inside of me. And we see this again, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why are you so polite, Jesus said. Why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you. He doesn't like that. Look at these. These words, what words are they? Starts with a G. These, this grace message, these grace words. Remember Jesus when John chapter 1 verse 17. When he came, he came full of grace and truth. So everything Jesus proclaimed, everything Jesus did was grace and truth in operation. So he's saying this, my words, these words, these grace-filled words that I speak are not just mere additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living, they are, this message of grace is foundation words. Like what Jamie was just saying early, earlier, the saved get established. Well, how do I get established? The message of his grace strengthens you. He goes on to say, they're words, the message of grace, they are words to build a life on. Man, aren't you thankful for that? Words to build a life on? Okay, 48. If you work the message of grace into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house to the rock. When the river, now it doesn't say if, it says when. When the river burst its bank and crashed against the house, nothing, nothing, no thing could shake it. Why? It was built to last. Ooh. Man, that just sounds like good words right there, don't it? But if you just use the message of grace in Bible studies and you don't work them into your life, you are dumb. That's me changing the paraphrase a little bit, I understand. But he's saying, you are like a dumb, you are dumb carpenter who built house. You're building your house, but you skipped the foundation. Now think about it from a natural standpoint. When the floods come rushing in, what's going to happen to the house? It collapsed like a house of cards, and it was a total loss. And a lot of times you hear, God, why did this happen? Let's take a look at the foundation. The message of grace has already been sent. It's being preached. It's been proclaimed. It's written down for you and I. So when we get to heaven, go, God, why did you allow this? Why did this? And he'd go, my message of grace has been printed. I don't know how many billions and billions of copies have been sold. Did you get one? You go, yeah, I did. Did you open it up? Well, yeah. I just, I used it in the Bible study. Yeah, did you use it in your life? Well, I don't know, Lord. I mean, that was just, it was a lot. It was, I couldn't comprehend it. That's not an excuse because grace has provided and fixed stupid. He'll, honestly, stand before the Lord, there's literally no excuse. We'd go, I, I, you're right. Yep, I get it now. So let's get it here. Grace is providing everything. So again, what we see from this passage that what do I do with the message of grace? The two people we saw here, the one who dug deep, he allowed the word of God or allowed the message of his grace to shape his believing and his thinking, and his reality was altered by the word of God. The other individual, the foolish man, that's a nice way of saying dumb, 
what did he do? He didn't engage with the message of grace. Instead, he heard it, but he didn't stay with the words long enough until the message of grace started to alter or change the way that he thought. Therefore, changing, giving him a brand new, different reality. Have anybody ever asked you before, man, what planet are you living on? How are you thinking like this? Yeah. Do you know how you get that? It's when the message of grace takes over and you start thinking like grace has already done something in your life. People go, man, so, well, you're messed up. No, actually, my brain finally got renewed to what grace has already done on my behalf. So if anything's weird, it's the Christian who thinks like the world, acts like the world, talks like the world, and hoping that God just does Christian things in their life. That's weird thinking. What does God need? He needs cooperation. The message of grace is fully there, but he needs you and I to work with him by exposing myself to his word and allowing the message of grace to change the way that I think. Woo! Well, man. All right, anyways, moving right along. What else do we see? Allowing these grace words to form my life, I take on the same strength as the rock himself. Grace doesn't stop the storm, but what does grace do? Grace fully equips you to live victoriously over any storm that may come your way. So grace doesn't say, oh, there's no more storms now. Okay, you're totally fine, storms. Now you stay away, storms. Stay away, bad things. No, with storms are actually, really, they're a good thing for you and I. It's an opportunity to show you how connected you are to the rock. And when everybody looks at your house and they go, how are you still standing? I share the same strength as the rock. Man, that's good news. So really, even though Satan tries to bring it against you, and he's trying to take you out of it, he didn't look at what you're connected to. And afterwards, after all the storm has settled, and the sun starts coming through again, your house, not even a nail came out of your house. Not a single shingle had fallen off that roof. Why? Because I'm connected to that rock. And people now go, I want what he's got. Hey, come get connected to the rock. That's the only reason why I'm still standing. All right. Now, so again, the question we have to ask ourselves is, whose words have painted my current reality? And going forward, whose words will I allow to paint my future? Is the message of grace going to paint your future? Because right now, every word out there is trying to paint what's going to happen out there in the future. All the videos, everything that you're, you know, taking in, consuming on the, on, from Facebook and YouTube and all those types of things is trying to get you really to fear. Where you start hoarding, you start, I'm going to protect this, I'm going to start going this, I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to look for some property out near Camel where nobody can find me and I'm going to live out there till Jesus comes back. That's loser talk. Thinking that's all Christian, that's churchy. No, that's loser talk. What does the world need? It needs to see houses that can stand strong. How are you doing this? I have a good rock. Jesus. So again, this statement, anyone who has more input from mainstream media than they do the word of God, their discouragement or anger is self-inflicted. So if I'm watching more CNN than I am anything else, I'm screwed. Put it simple. That's basically it for you. Well, I'm going to just watch. I'm going to keep watching and taking in. This is what prime ministers say. This is what a premier says. This is what local... All of that is geared to make you behave a certain way. Why do you think it's so toxic out there? The culture out there. I don't want any of that culture in here. Why? Because there's no, they're not connected to a rock. That's why there's so much joy. That's why you actually are genuinely happy. I've had that said. Are you guys actually happy? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know what else. To, yeah. 
Why? I'm connected to someone. And I'm connected to the one. So again, God promises his grace. His message of grace will sustain you no matter the storm. My part now is I have to cooperate with the Lord by allowing his message of grace to give it access into my life to shape my reality. What is true in your life? Is the word, does it have final authority? Because if so, you are going in the right direction. Because it's going to get darker out there. We thought 2022 was nasty. Wait till 2023 comes. Woo, Lord, it gets dark out there. Wait till 2024. Oh, you're just putting fear in people. No. We're just simply exposing perfect love casts out fear. And when you throw yourself into the love of God, nothing to fear. What's your, what's your future? Heaven is ultimately my direction where I'm going. Rock on. Now, now look at this in Hosea 4, 6. But destruction and calamity, or sorry, captivity, is the result of not knowing him. And so look at this verse, and he says this in the New Living Bible. He says, my people are being destroyed. Who's, who, who's are my people? We know this, this is the children of Israel in the context of this. But if we could kind of just take this in the New Testament here, it's the church is being destroyed. Why? Because they don't know me. Other translations say because they have no knowledge. For a lack of knowledge. Well, knowledge on what? Knowledge of the word of God. So my people are being destroyed. Why? Because they don't know me. So storms aren't taking out the church. What's taking out people? They don't know him. So what's the solution to that? Get to know him. How do I get to know him? I get to spend time in the message of his grace. Spend time in his word and find out how good he really is. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 13, look at this verse. He says, those who, oh, so, so my people will go into exile far away. Why? Because they don't know me. They don't know who I am, so they will be going into exile for a certain amount of time. This is talking about the church. Well, I mean, he's talking about Israel, but for you and I as the church, this is why we're having problems that we're having. They don't know me. All right. So God in his mercy, thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his grace. What did he do to combat all that? Psalm 107 verse 20, the Bible tells us this. He sent out his word... And he healed them, snatching them from the door of death. What did it? The word. Come on, say it with me. The word. So you and I getting established in the word is crucial for the days that we're going in. Look at this in Psalm 119. He says, the entrance and the unfolding of your words, what does it do? It gives light. Their unfolding, the word unfolded, gives understanding, discernment, and comprehension to the simple. Man, I'm thankful for that. So when I've allowed, when I haven't allowed the message of his grace to pierce my soul, a lie will kick in. If my mind has not been renewed to the message of his grace in any area of my life, a lie will always try to sneak in. Always. The message of his grace is by his stripes you are healed. And all of a sudden you go... Oh, man, so, but I'm not feeling real good. What, what's going on here? Watch that. Watch that simple little thought. Oh, you know, Aunt so-and-so, she didn't get any. Oh, hold on, watch that. Because what's it doing? That is a thought trying to come in above the knowledge of God, trying to get you off track. You have to be so guarded with the thoughts that come to your mind on a regular basis, regularly. Why? Because they're trying to take hold and take the message of his grace and twist it. 
well, yeah, it works for that individual, but yeah, you're kind of nasty and rotten, so it won't work for you. Hold on. That's not what he said. He didn't send out his word to only those that were nice. He sent out his word to all to heal and to reclaim and to bring back. So you have to constantly be aware of that. So what am I doing? I have to keep guard and allow the word of God. Now notice what he said again in Psalm 19, that the entrance of his word, meaning the moment somebody, no matter what situation may look like, they go to the word of God and at that moment, light starts coming into their soul. Answers begins there the moment you turn to the word. I can't find the answer on Facebook. It's not there. Google has got a thousand and different reasons why not to do different things. What do I do? What do I do? We live on an information treadmill. And the problem with the information treadmill is you never get to the place of truth. Rock solid truth. So what do I do? I have to make the decision that the word is my rock solid truth. But they say something that's totally different than this. That's where you have to make a choice. For you and I, I don't know about you, but I will choose the word. My house will serve the Lord. What does that mean? I'm choosing God's way every single time. Ah, amen. In Hebrews 13:9, it tells you and I, it is good that your heart be established in grace. Not in politics. It's sad that Christians know more about politics than they do the word. Did you hear so-and-so? Yeah, great. But do you know what the word says? Why? Well, you don't know, man. These guys are pretty now. What is happening? Moving right along. Now, we stopped this last week, but here we are. We are now entering into the school of grace. Grace has taken the responsibility to not only provide you with everything you need, but grace has also has been willing to become your schoolmaster, your teacher to how to do life right. Look at this in Titus chapter 2. God's marvelous grace His marvelous grace has manifested in person by the name of Jesus, bringing salvation for everyone. Now look at this, verse 12. This same grace, this same Jesus teaches who? And again, we have to identify who's this us. It's the, yeah, me. It's the church. It's the Christian. The grace isn't teaching the world, hence the world's position. Hence the struggles that they have, the confusion that's out there. It's out there. So grace isn't teaching the world. But we see, well, verse 11, it's, I thought it was made, avail- made available to everyone. It is made available. But those who receive it, accepted Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, accepted what the grace of God has done, those are now who are able to be taught by grace. This same grace teaches us how to live each day. He's going to teach you how to live November 21st, 2022. Listen, mankind, we've never been here before. So guess what we need? We need grace to teach us how to do stuff. (laughs) Okay. And what is he going to teach as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles? Grace now equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. What's going to teach you? Grace. Okay, verse 13. And how do we do all this? Well, we continue to look forward to the joyful fulfillment of our hope in the dawning splendor of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Anointed. Now, in the school of grace, you have to show up to class. What does that mean? Anybody skipped high school or parts of it? I'm just making sure I see all those hands going up. Some of you are just like, yeah, kind of. I would raise my hand, but my mom's in the room, so I... 
And what happens when you don't sit in the class? You miss the information. Well, for you and I, grace is the teacher, and he wants your attendance. He needs you there in order to properly teach you. What does that mean? You have to give God access at some point in your life, throughout your day. And it's not just, why well, I do this once in a while. Sunday is my, you know, my grace school day. Great, but it's not going to totally change the way that you think. You're going to need to have grace school every day. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's the thing. We sit in class and we say, Mr. Grace, what are you going to be teaching us today? And before we get into this, I want to first make mention, make sure you don't have a substitute teacher called Mr. Religion in. If Mr. Religion shows up, skip class. He is a lousy teacher. He is lousy. And what will happen, Mr. Grace is going to have to now reteach you, and you're going to have to unlearn some things with Mr. Religion. Now, how do I know if it's Mr. Religion teaching the class? This is what Mr. Religion sounds like. He sounds a lot like the focus is on you, your bad behavior. He likes to use in his language shame. He likes to talk condemnation. He likes to talk guilt. He likes to talk a lot about how you don't measure up. Mr. Religion is really prominent in a lot of churches. He likes to talk and poke his head up, and he likes to shame. He likes to put down that you aren't enough, that you aren't good enough, that you are still a sinner even though you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So be real careful because there's always a substitute that likes to come in there pretending and showing off like it's grace. It's not. It's a false spirit. The spirit of religion is nasty. It's kept more people away from the church. It's kept more people away from God, experiencing the kindness of God. Really, if you stopped and think about it, if people really grasped the goodness of this God that we serve, don't you think the entire planet, everything they're looking for is found in him? Like, don't you think they would stop all this trash and go, help me? And he would be there in a moment. But religion has caused more wars than anything else. Religion, not Christianity, religion. And so you have to be careful that Mr. Religion doesn't show up in your class and trying to teach you. Now, the other hand, how do I know it's Mr. Grace? Mr. Grace will always point to the finished works of Jesus. He will always make a bigger perspective, will always shine the bigger light on what Jesus has done. He will always point to the finished works of Jesus, and he'll say, believe this, believe that. And out of that, in your class, you'll start to going, oh, it's not behavior modification, it's believing. And when I start to believe this way, I'm going to start living differently. This is how grace, this is how Mr. Grace communicates to you and I. And this is also a part of the thing of Mr. Grace is that there is conviction. His words will convict. And is that a bad thing? No. That's Mr. Grace constantly bringing you back to your real identity found in Christ Jesus. That's why you don't sleep around anymore. That's why you're not supposed to have multiple husbands or wives. No, 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 no. That's not you anymore. Why? Because you're in him. And in him, there's no, that's not what we do. Oh, so there's not condemnation. But you will get that. Oh, man, I got I to gotta make some changes here. Conviction is a good thing. And that's a way that Mr. Grace uses to bring you back to your identity in Christ Jesus. Condemnation and conviction are very different. Now, so again, back to the first initial question. Mr. Grace, here I'm sitting in my class. What are you going to be teaching me today? And his answer is, I'm going to teach you how to depend on God. Really, that's it? Yeah. What's he really going back? We're going back to what Genesis 3 was all about. Going back to the very beginning, going back to the very roots, our original design was complete dependency on him. Grace, what does he want to teach? 
how to depend on God. That may sound so simple, but this is the most profound thing for us as a church. If you could grasp God created you, therefore he's going to take care of you. And if you can learn to depend on him through grace teaching you, your life will go to a whole nother level without effort on your, I mean effort meaning in the sense of your work trying to get things God to do. He's willing and ready. Now, again, in the fall of man, we saw in Genesis chapter 3, mankind, what happened? They basically declared their independence from God. Through disobedience, through what Adam and Eve did, claiming their independence of God, this is what they were saying. You, God, are holding out on us. There's something that we need that we can get apart from you. That's what they're saying. That's what happened. And as a result, we see the family feud. What took place the moment that that happened? A few, few decades later or so, there's a family feud. The first death is the result now of this very thought. Like really, think about this terminology. This thought that I can get what I'm looking for. I can get what I need apart from God. This right here is where we get into trouble. I can get what I need apart from God. That's a dangerous spot to be in, no matter what it is. Joy, peace, love. Come on, you, you name it, it's there. If I look for any other place other than God, I am heading in a wrong direction. I need some financial help, so I'm going to look for a quick, you know, get-rich-quick scheme. Anything you do apart from God, this is where God gets a lot of the blame. Is all of a sudden we just lash out and we, I need this in my life. I need some affection. So I'm turning to pornography to help me deal with some things. Or I need this, so I'm going to go online and I'm going to spend, 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 and then I feel better. All of those things take you away from the source of grace who is willing to provide everything you got. And then we turn on God and say, why did you let this happen? Why is this happening? And grace is going, I didn't. You wanted it. So listen, rather than we thinking, oh, you know, ungodliness and ungodliness is all these wicked and sinful acts. Yeah, it's true. But where does it begin? It begins first by not regarding or not depending on God. The root of all this is I can find my happiness from somebody and somewhere else other than you. That's why we got a lot of times divorces. I can get this woman over here makes me more happy than you do. I'm going with her. And then you go about five, ten years later, and you're in the same boat. Why? They can't provide that. Jamie is not the source of my joy. I love her. She's a gift to me from God. But where did it come from? It came from him. So if I put this expectation on her, Jamie, make me laugh. And this is what you get. Try something else. That sucked. Move on. And then what I, Jace, son, make me happy. No, that, that's, that's lame. Not even listening. Max, you. London, you. Brooks, you. Ah, no, I need more kids. Jamie, we need more kids to make us happy. And it's a dangerous flow. Thinking that anything out here apart from God makes us happy. So again, <laughs> how many times have I done something without looking to God first in my life? How many times? And that's what the Apostle Paul, the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul and Titus is saying, grace wants to teach you and I how to depend on God. Going back to our original design. 
This is what he's here for. Oh, this guy's offering me, you know, $10 more an hour to go get this job. I'm going to go do that. Thank you, Lord, for your provision. Did you ask him or did you just assume? Because if we're not going, Lord, what is this? Is this? Is this of you? Is this the right way? He may say no, but God, it's an opportunity. Opportunities don't lead us. They can't. You know why? Because God was saying, God, that was $10 more an hour. He's got a $100,000 thing going on in the background that you don't know nothing about. So what do I need to do? Learn to depend on him. So what is grace here? Grace is here to teach us how to come back to this beautiful place called dependence. What does dependence mean? Very simply, it's a state where someone is heavily, sorry, heavily reliant on someone or something else. For example, a baby with a mama. That baby depends on that mother. From the very first breath, I mean, obviously for a long time. And it doesn't ever change. But you just think of the reliance, the dependency that's on that. God likes to be depended on. Church, God likes to be depended on. Now, as we said, it's a big deal to him. I don't have this verse on the screen, but you can look at it. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9, it says, The eyes of the Lord, they search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. What does that mean? Those who are depending on him. Anyone who did anything miraculous or powerful in the word of God were all men and women who completely depended on God. So do we depend on him? Yes. You're not at 100% yet. How do I know? Because we're all human. I'm in the same boat. We live in a Western civilization where everything's provided for us. Car's not working. Phone AMA. I need a new dress. Go to this mall. Everything we need is already here. So what God is trying to wean you and I off is the systems that are failing before our very eyes and put our confidence back on him. What are you going to do when they stop stocking the shelves? What do we do? God is going to have to rain down some manna for us. Do we depend on him for that? Oh, I don't know what's going to happen. We have to start cutting the ties to this world because they are failing every day. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. So what do I do? I have to learn to build this image on the inside of me. He loves me. He's going to care for me. He loves me. He's going to protect me. He loves me. He's going to sustain me. Okay. And in Genesis chapter 12, now we finally see God finally found a man that he could trust. There's things in this earth that you get because you trust God. But there's things that you walk in because he trusts you. Great, we trust God, but all of a sudden, can he look down and say, can I trust you? And how, God, how did he look for that? My dependency on him. Am I just looking for the next opportunity and boom, I'm gone. Lord, I want you to be able to trust this vessel. Well, how does that mean? I'm dependent on you for everything. And that's something I've been working on daily is saying throughout my day, Lord, I'm depending on you right now. I trust on you. I rely on you. Thank you, Lord. Help me. Now, finally we see that in Genesis 12. God finally found a couple that he could work with, Abraham and Sarah. He found what he was looking for. He's so excited. And I want you to see this in Romans chapter 4. I want to give you a little, just a quick show of what God did. This was so exciting for me. He searched the earth, God says. I'm looking across the earth, and finally there's a man I can use 
There he is, Abraham. I know I can trust him. He's going to teach my ways to his descendants and the ones coming after him. He is going to teach his family how to depend on God. And God says, because of that, I'm not going to hide anything from him. Man, I just think that's powerful. That's Genesis 18, 19, I believe. That is huge to me where I know that God, he wants to reveal stuff to me. Well, how does he reveal stuff? To those whose hearts are completely dependent on him. I rely on you, Jesus. Not on my paycheck. I rely on you. Romans 4, look at this, verse 1. Again, the Apostle Paul, he says, Let me use the example of Abraham. It is clear that, humanly speaking, he was the founder of Judaism. What was his experience of being made right with God? Was it by the good works of keeping the law? No. Aren't you glad when the word answers the question for us? No. For if it was by the things he did, he would have something to boast about, but no one boasts before God. Verse 3. So listen to what the scriptures say about Abraham. Uh, so Sorry, listen to what the scriptures say. Because Abraham believed God's words, his faith transferred God's righteousness into his account. So what I want to throw at you and I as people of faith, and we understand the message of faith, I would like to propose this to you, that the, the word faith, we could interject depending on God. What is faith? Depending on God. You look at all the main scriptures that we would use for faith, like it is impossible to please God without faith. Or we could say it without depending on God. It's impossible to please Him. What is He looking for? Someone who will depend on Him. That what draws his attention. That's what catches his attention. And he loves to move into action when somebody depends. Now let's skip down to verse 16. He says, the promise depends on faith so that it can be experienced as a grace gift. And now it extends to all the descendants of Abraham. This promise is not only meant for those who obey the law, but also those who enter the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. That's what the scripture means when it says, I have made you the father of many nations. Now notice this. He says, uh, Abraham, he is our example. What is your example of? He is our example of depending on God. What's he the example of? His dependency upon God. Okay? Uh, For in God's presence... He believed that God can raise the dead and call into being things that don't even exist yet. Verse 18. I'll read this and then we'll, we'll open it up. Against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed. What's another way we could say? Abraham depended on God. For what? First of all, the promise. And he expected God. In other ways we could say, he depended on God. To fulfill it, he took God at his word, and as a result, he became the father of many nations, and God's declaration over him came to pass. This is what I want for you and my life individually. This is what I want God to say about this local family, that what he says about you and I comes to pass. What did he say about Abraham? Your descendants will be so many that it will be impossible to count. God said that to Abraham, but it wasn't automatic. Can you see that? Look at this, verse 19. In spite of being nearly 100 years old, 
when the promise of having a son was made, his or his dependency upon God was so strong that it could never be undermined by the fact that he and Sarah were incapable of conceiving a child. He never stopped believing God's promise for he was made strong in his dependency upon God to father a child. And because he was mighty in dependence upon God and convinced that God had all the power needed to fulfill his promises, Abraham glorified God. What glorified God? When someone depends on him, heaven gets all the glory. Heaven receives all the praise when someone depends entirely on it to bring to pass what he said. Now, here's the test that Abraham had. Verse 19 again. Choice number one, Abraham could have looked and taken into consideration his own age. Could have looked at his driver's license and go, man, I'm old. Hundred-year-old man. All of a sudden, pick up Sarah's. 90-year-old, 90, you're 90. How did, they, how did time fly so fast? He could have looked at that, and not only that, your womb is dead. You couldn't conceive when you were 20. Now you're 90. And what would have been the result if he would have leaned into what the natural is telling him? He would have operated in fear, which you do see a few times in Genesis, God, I have no heir to give all that I have. What am I going to do? Calm down. You will have a son. So the natural, you can see, is constantly pulling you and I away from depending on God and try to get you stuck to this natural world. What would have been the result? Yeah, fear, but the result would have been he will have nullified his faith or his dependency upon God would have been killed. Choice number two was this, which we see, Refused to be distracted by the age of Sarah and himself, the deadness of Sarah's womb, and completely throw his dependency and on the character of God and trust that what he said, he will do. What was the result? He became the father of many nations. That's the options. Those are the choices. I'm thankful that Abraham chose option two. Now, here's the thing. Some people think that Abraham had a lot of faith. That's why she got pregnant. No. Of course, Abraham had faith. But listen, womb is dead. Eggs are dead. Sperm is dead. There is nothing Abraham could naturally bring to the table to make her pregnant. Nothing. He's got nothing. So I finally think Abraham came to this realization that I can't contribute anything. So what did he do? What was him and Sarah's job, so to speak? Was to completely depend on what God said. That is it. Do you perform healing in your body? No. Do you perform the financial miracle in your life? No. So what's my job? To depend on my source. You said that by your stripes, I am healed. 
You said that you've given everything that concerns life and godliness to me. That's what you said. Now you will make it come to pass in my life. What do you need to work with on my end? Oh, you need me to depend on you? Yes, sir, you got my complete dependence. That's how this works. God doesn't want you trying to, yeah, buy a stripe, some heal. Okay, yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to go figure out how I can go get better, get healed now. What is he telling you to do? Depend on what he said. Are we okay here? Because the moment that you try working out and try to bring out your salvation, you're basically saying, I can get something apart from him. And it does not work. So what do we need going into these last days? A complete dependency upon God. <laughs> really, God is responsible for making his word come to pass. Jeremiah 1.12, what is God doing? I'm watching over my word to perform it. What's the blockage? I'm trying to take his word and perform it in my life. I'm trying to make it come to pass. I want to see the promises fulfilled. Abraham not only believed the promise, but then he also believed that God is able to fulfill the promise. You're not the fulfiller of the promise. You are not the source. So guess what? You can just do this. <sighs> Rest and let grace teach you. This is how you trust him. This is how you depend on him. Let me show you. Oh, no, you're getting into self-effort. You're getting into self-righteousness. Stop right there. He's already provided it. Your job is to Hold on tightly to what he said. Let that image be formed on the inside of you until you see it on the inside. Hold on. I think in Timothy somewhere he says, what do we do holding on to eternal life? Meaning I lay hold of the words that he's spoken. I'll finish with this. Romans 8.32. But what we are doing is we are depending on God for everything. But when you're doing that, you're putting an emphasis on his integrity. God's integrity is on the line right now. Did you ever think about it that way? If he says, I'm watching over my word to perform it. If he doesn't do it, that's on him. God, this is what you said. He has to make sure it comes to pass in your life. But again, I have to allow him. I have to give him full access. I have to obey what he tells me to do. My job is not to make sure it works. My job is to be in this place of, I completely depend on you. God, look, look at this. This is his very own self. I can just see if the father were to come down and say this, he'd be on his knees. Church, I did not withhold or spare my own son, but I gave him up for you. Will I not also with Jesus freely and graciously give you all other things? And our answer would be like, of course you would. Then his answer would be, depend on me. Let grace teach you now to cut the umbilical cord to this world. It's literally killing you. You think there's life in this world. There's nothing here. You need to detach from the world's systems, from the world's ways of thinking. It's trash. It's, it's leading you into depression. It's leading you into anger. Seriously, angry Christians are ridiculous. I don't mean that in a rude way, but my goodness, we are so angry and caught up on this world why? We're not plugged into where our umbilical needs to be. Why get angry? Why? He's coming back. The world is preparing for a war. What's God doing? He's getting ready for a wedding. And so what is the Christian mindset ought to be? 
War, kill, war, kill. Hold on, try to get everything I can get. Get everything I can get. I'll hit a few people while I'm at it. No, he's getting ready to get us out of here. So what do we do? We want to invite as many people to this wedding feast as we possibly can. I believe the effect, most effective evangelism that's out there is some believer whose umbilical cord is sticked up to heaven's mindset and heaven's kingdom and revealing the kindness and the joy and the goodness of God simply by being happy in life. Oh, if you die, you're going to hell. That's not happy. Bunch of snakes, bunch of idiots, bunch of hell. You're going hell in a handbasket. How's that working out for you? It's not. So what do we do? I plug into heaven's economy. I plug into heaven's systems. And I go, Father, let me be a vessel now for your kingdom as I ambassad this nation, as I ambassad the city of Red Deer. I'm going out now and show me how to be an agent for you. Most effective way to reach. I've found personally, and I believe that's Jesus' ways. So let's do it, church. And how do I do that? I begin, first of all, by simply saying, Lord, I depend on you. Come on, say that with me. I depend on you. This is not just a once in a while thing or, oh, I'm sick. I guess I better trust God. No, no, no. I need him to wake me up in the morning. (laughs) I need him to show me how to be a husband to my wife. Lord, I need help to be a dad to these four children that are refusing to sleep at the moment. God, help me. What do I do? Grace is available. He's, grace is doing this. What do you want to know? What do you need? I go, God, I need you in this area. What, what do we do about this situation? There's a crisis going on here. Lord, what does your word say? Help me with this. And grace just comes right alongside and shows you the way in or shows you the way out. It's powerful. And it's not that God doesn't want to bless people. He needs somebody who will depend on him. God wants to be depended on by every human on this planet if they want to. Even for you as a believer, you don't have to depend on God. Where does it begin? Dependency upon God depends or goes, starts off with your choice. It's completely a free will. God says, I'm available if you want it. If you don't, that's up to you. But I'm available. I hear that, church. I'm available. Whatever you have need of, I'm available. So, Father, we come to you this morning. In the name of Jesus, Father, we ask you right now, and we thank you, your word says, that the grace of God, your grace, is teaching us how to depend on you. Lord, we ask you right now, we are a church, we are a people, a hungry people for you. Lord Jesus, we desire you more than anything else, that you would teach us how to be men and women who depend on your grace. Show us, teach us. I'm asking you, Father, over every person in this room, in their quiet time with you, in their time as they're reading the word, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are revealing your character and your nature to them, that you can be fully trusted. Lord Jesus, where there has been disappointment and hurt and frustration, in maybe a particular situation, Lord, by your grace, I'm asking you, sir, that you would reveal a brand new picture, a new thought of what you want to do to redeem what was stolen, to redeem what was lost, 
to redeem what was taken out of somebody. Father, you are here to restore. So I'm asking you for that now, sir. Restoration in the church family. Restoration of dreams. Restoration of hope. Restoration of desire. Father, restore what the canker worm has eaten. Father, you came to restore all that. And Father, when an enemy is caught, he has to pay seven times much as what he stole. So we claim all of that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Seven times more joy. Seven times more peace. Seven times more family. Seven times, seven times, seven times. We thank you for that, Lord. We receive that now. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Ah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm not just, just, just hang around here for a moment. Oh. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, what keeps coming up in me just as I was saying those words, I just hear this, just the disappointment of miscarriages, lost babies, whether recent or long before, the Lord wants you to know he's restoring all of that. There's just a, with restoration also comes a healing of heart. And I believe that as we go forward in this, that the Lord wants to heal hearts so he can bring again in line his plan. You know, one other thing we didn't get into, but maybe next week, but when you depend on God also means you depend on his timing. You do not try to make something work. Don't put God on a schedule. I've broken out of that a long time. Just get him off that schedule. God doesn't go by my schedule. He goes by his timing. So part of it is learning to depend on the timing of God where you're at. So what's the best thing to do while I'm in this awkward phase between maybe what was stolen from me, what was taken from me from the enemy, and where I go and see the restoration? What do I do in this process? I allow the grace of God to mend and heal what, what he was stolen. How? Let the message of grace totally saturate that area. Let it take over. What did we do when we couldn't have babies? They said you couldn't have babies. I guess you're just the unlucky ones that don't get prayed. What do we do with that? Listen, this is real life. What do you do? Go home and just say, well, I guess this is just God's plan. No, you have to fight. Part of that fighting is I take a scripture. Don't let me find a promise of God because when I find a promise, I'm going to latch on to it. I'm going to bring it in with everything I got. He's going to make it come to pass in my life. But I'm going to let that verse, that scripture that carries the very DNA, that carries the very heart and language of God, he mends my heart. He totally beautifies. Just It's amazing what it does. That scripture just gets all up in your heart, mends those cracks, and then brings again what we took beauty out of the ashes. Only he can do that. But you have to give him some access. You gotta give him something to work with. Amen. So can we just take a moment just to pray over those that may have had one? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. That's a private thing between you and the Lord. I don't want any of that. But can we just hook up our faith together? Because there's a heartache attached to this. 
And I just, I believe I'm sensing the heart of the Father on this, what God wants to do in restoration. So Father, in the name of Jesus, do you... Father, right now, we thank you for your healing word. You sent your word and you healed them and you snatched them from the clutches of death. You sent your word and you healed them. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak over every wife, every husband. Lord, in the name of Jesus, let there be a returning of vision a returning of God-given hope in these situations. We command that now. Satan, in the name of Jesus, you get your claws and your stinking fingers off of these situations, off of these minds, in the mighty name of Jesus. We command the healing power of Jesus to flow into the heart, to flow into the soul, and restore what was broken, what may be lost, to go into another realm with you. We receive that now by depending on you on this, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. No, amen. I think that's it. I just believe that's right. Okay. I think we're good. Are you good? Okay, me too.